The obesity epidemic is associated with numerous health-related issues, including alterations in glucose metabolism, dyslipidemia, and hypertension. These conditions in turn are associated with an increased incidence of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Therapeutic lifestyle change remains the cornerstone of treatment for patients with obesity. It is effective, however, lifestyle change is challenging to implement, especially when the behaviors are rooted at a young age in the home. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Amy Hendel. Amy is a physician assistant, a lifestyle therapist, and an author. She has worked as a health contributor on Good Morning America, The Today Show, and numerous other national broadcasts and publications. We are happy to have her here today to discuss how PAs and all medical professionals can make their patients healthy for life. Hi, Amy. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, what inspired you to dedicate your professional career to health and fitness? Well, I have to confess, I myself struggled with weight issues as a child, and I also was a lifer in terms of being a candy striper at Maimonides Hospital in New York City. It was a way for my mom to get me off the streets in the summer. It didn't cost her a dime except for the uniform. But as I went through school and began to think about medical school, I'm a 100% black and white person. I do things 100%, and I thought if I do medical school, I'm the type of person that probably would never have a social life, would never kind of find other pursuits. And so my dad happened to hear about the PA program. It seemed like a really good fit for me. It was going to allow me some autonomy, some independence, certainly hands-on patient care. But I was going to have somebody looking over my shoulder, checking up on me a little bit. And considering that lives are at stake, I really did not have an ego issue or a conflict with that concept. It kind of seemed the best of both worlds. So thus, a PA was born, but as I became a mommy and was married to a doctor, it became a little difficult to navigate traditional PA role in a hospital as what I guess we'd call today almost a hospitalist. So I was so interested in lifestyle. I was so interested in preventing disease before it rooted in a person that I decided to really, really make that the focal point of the next years of my profession. So you modified the PA role. How did you change that into the career you have now? Well, it seemed to me that since most of the time, since I was kind of an internal medicine PA, I was often the one that spent a little more time with the patient and was counseling them on diet and fitness and lifestyle change and stress reduction if indeed they had diseases like diabetes, heart disease, even certain cancers, certainly hypertension, certainly insulin resistance, I thought to myself, why can't I just get training as a personal trainer, really, really extend my exercise physiology understanding by taking CME specifically in that area, take a year where I really did intensive CME and nutrition, join some of the organizations that are involved in dietary promotion and fitness promotion, and I kind of took the two years of being a first time around mommy to really starting to do that when I took off time from being a PA, and it was very easy once I was done with those branches of my education to then come back and offer myself to doctors as a liaison kind of consulting individual where if they had patients who were really willing to get off pills or to avoid high risk for disease by changing their lifestyle, I was the go-to person. So I pretty much developed a relationship with about 20 doctors, and thus was born my home private-based practice, 
And I really do function more as a personal trainer nutritionist with just having the PA role as my kind of fulcrum to staying on top of CME, to going to organizational meetings by physicians, to taking CME that the same doctors take, to reading up the medical journals that have all the new studies on this stuff. So I kind of married it all together, and it was a unique niche back when I was doing it. And I still don't think there are too many PAs doing what I'm specifically doing, but there are certainly nutritionists and personal trainers out there with additional degrees who are fulfilling similar professional roles to myself. Well, I noticed that you actually started your PA career in dependency medicine, and it's interesting that you would parlay that over to food, which is also an addiction. Do you treat patients in similar ways as when you were doing dependency as you do with this? Let me tell you a little of what I noticed when I was working in dependency medicine, and that was indeed my first professional role. I worked in the Brooklyn VA Hospital on the dependency and psych units, and we were the medical go-to people for the professional teams that were there, and it was a very large and thriving couple of floors in the VA hospital. And what I noticed is that when working with the addictive personality who was addicted to drugs or alcohol, I had to give them something else to turn to. By and large, the addictive nature was within their persona. So I thought, what can I give them to be really, really anal and obsessive about that would be good for them? And a lot of them, you know, were also at a prison or had certainly criminal nature in their background that might have put them into incarceration. So they work out in those gyms there. So that began my lingo with them that was a really, really solid way of communicating with them and helping them shift from one obsession or one addiction to another. That being said, I will tell you that I think people who struggle with food have a far greater dynamic going on because you can decide as an alcohol or drug addict to change the way you live your life so you are not often, if ever, placed in a situation where temptation is there. You can drop those friends. You can never bring alcohol in your home. You can decide, you know, at restaurants and stuff to make it clear to people, if you really struggle with it, please don't bring alcohol to the table. Those are very acceptable in our society today. Somebody who struggles with food has to live with it 24-7. Somehow, no matter how demonic nutrition is in your life, no matter how much you hate exercise, you have to somehow try and live with these issues and situations. And particularly if you're parents, you're going to have to figure out if you conquer your own food demons, how to not hand them off to the next generation. So I actually think, yes, they have a lot of similarities, but my heart actually goes out a little more to the person who yo-yo diets, struggles with food, has an emotional relationship with food. The fear of disease does not help them conquer that, what we'll call addiction with food. So it's a really tough scenario for us to deal with. And as clinicians, we're not giving it enough time. We're not giving it enough merit. We're not giving it enough respect as we help professionals work with patients who have disease. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Amy Hendel, physician assistant, author, and health contributor. We are happy to have her here today to discuss how PAs and all medical professionals can make their patients healthy for life. Amy, you just wrote a book called Fat Families, Thin Families. And this was a very good book. It opened my eyes to treating overeating as a family versus as an individual. So tell us what prompted you to write the book and how we change our family 
and the way we eat. Well, first, let me start by saying I was really under duress to write the book, and I have a big smile on my face because I kind of had a list of things I've done. And a number of people said to me, you know, you've done this and you've done that, and, you know, you're in media now, and you do public speaking, and you get on these TV shows. Why aren't you writing a book if you have so much insight into this particular topic? And once I wrote the book, I can now, Lisa, tell you why I knew I didn't want to write the book, because it's the worst birth one ever can imagine. It's like having a baby, except editors are like your placenta that doesn't want to get cut, and the birthing pains are like the damn people giving you, you know, their unwanted opinions on what you've written. And you don't get a gorgeous, adorable baby, though you also don't have to sit up at nights at some point. It's all over, and there's no baby to wake up with every night. So to me, it was kind of funny because everything I thought about writing a book came to fruition and then some. That being said, my biggest gripe were my own realizations as a 16-year-old. When I was 16 and I decided to go on my very successful long-term diet and exercise program, and all that was around those days was Weight Watchers, what was very obvious to me is that I had a grandmother who was obese. I had a mother who was obese. They both had very serious eating issues. They both handed off to me horrific habits and relationships with foods. And yet they were constantly going on diets, never taking me along for the ride. And I kind of found this very provocative, but I couldn't quite verbalize it that way. So when I got married and I had my own kids and I had conquered these issues for myself, I thought, I can't make the same mistakes. I'm going to be tempted to reward my kids with food. I'm going to be tempted to buy the next new product on the market. I'm going to be tempted when they are sad to give them food. I'm going to do all those things that I learned were no-nos, but it's so instinctive as a parent to bring those habits into your own home, even if you've personally conquered them. The other thing that really bothered me was, as a professional doing lifestyle coaching, very often I'm brought Sally or Johnny or Deborah and they are obese children or teenagers, and the parents want me to fix it. They want me to fix the child. Or an individual will come to me and say, fix me, and he will go back home day after day to an environment that is anything but being fixed. So it seems to me, how can we as individuals diet and still feed our families a certain way? How can we tell our kids to exercise if we're not doing it? How can we as health professionals be a little hypocritical and counsel our patients to lose weight, to offset risk for disease, to get off pills by changing lifestyle, and clearly be walking advertisements that we are not following our own directives? So to me, this was a shout-out, and I was very bold, I think, in deciding to name the book Fat Families, Thin Families. I don't think it was going to help sales when I made the decision, And it has certainly come up again and again in conversation as a negative. But I tell people if they open the book and they read the first couple of pages, they will see I'm not talking about fat families and thin families just from a body habitus perspective. I'm talking about it from a fat habit, thin habit perspective. Well, changing a behavior is one of the most difficult things you can do. And in our current healthcare system, there's very little time to work on that. How are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you ask such a scary question. Well, I guess if we look at statistics, we're not doing so great. Um, Lifestyle diseases are definitely on the rise. The obesity epidemic has pervaded the adult population, certainly the child population. 
I think that there is a lot more discussion this year about going green. And I guess my comment is I had to figure out a way to be fiscally responsible in my household, to be organized because as a working professional, I run my house as another job that I do in a certain sense, and there's no way to be 100% on your professional job and not be 100% on your mommy job without being equally organized. So to me, one of the easiest things that I found and one of the principles I lay out in Fat Families, Thin Families is this 4P program, Plan, Prepare, Portion, Play. And for me, Plan, Prepare, and Portion all take place on one day a week. Sunday's my shopping and preparation day. It gets about three hours of attention, probably even less now that I'm so proficient at it. And it's everything from menu planning ahead of time, shopping list preparing ahead of time, knowing what's on sale in the supermarket that I can get a great deal on, certainly multitasking food. So if I buy lots of four- and six-ounce portions of chicken breast, they get multitasked in a variety of ways, letting the kids tell me what do they want as snacks this week. And in that same way that I approached my own household, that's how I approach each and every patient or client that I came across. We would figure out how to implement those four Ps that personally resonated with them. So not everything I do necessarily resonates in the next household, but there are core principles that everybody can adopt. And you'll find, I know I just saw in USA Today, people are eating out less. They've been hammered by the financial picture right now and what is to be. Cooking at home means you're more aware of ingredients, you're more aware of how you're divvying up food, what's coming into the house, the ingredients you're using, how big the portion sizes are, what's left over that you could put in a brown bag the next day or repurpose for another meal. You know, to me, if you want to be fiscally responsible, if you want to be health responsible, if you want to hand off to your kids great health habits, they're all intertwined in this new age of Obamaism, and we need to get on the bandwagon. And, yeah, you know, Lisa, I get it. My husband complains all the time about how limited his time is in the office. I will tell you, He's more limited by his fear that if he brings up the fat word or extra poundage discussion with his patients, they will get turned off and leave his practice. It's a very sensitive subject. It's also why pediatricians claim they don't bring it up to parents. It is the big elephant in the room, and everybody's afraid to go about talking about it. So we've got to figure out better communication skills, more empathic ways of broaching the subject, and involving families. I think families are still the key. Thank you, Amy, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.